Welcome back to the Not Your Mama podcast. This is your host, Kelly Bryant. I am the creator and founder of Kelly Bryant Wellness, and I am also the core and pelvic floor personal trainer who helps you feel awesome at every age and stage of having kids. So whether you're trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, or even years postpartum or postmenopausal, I can help you get back to doing what you love, feeling strong, confident, and pain-free. So today's episode is talking about peeing your pants. This is one of the most common topics or questions that I get from folks, and often it's kind of discussed in like these whispered tones of, is you know, I really, I just want this whole personal training thing, but like, by the way, I pee my pants and maybe you can help with that question mark. So I want to really pull back the curtain on some of the misinformation that's out there about peeing your pants and really emphasize that you can address urinary incontinence no matter where you're at in the recovery process or even if you've never had a kid. So that does happen sometimes that people have urinary incontinence without ever having had a kid. So your body is resilient and capable of healing and that's what we're going to be talking about on today's episode. So first I want to discuss one of the biggest myths out there when it comes to urinary incontinence, which is that if you pee yourself, you have a weak pelvic floor, weak, and people associate that with loose or lax. And if you have a loose or lax pelvic floor, you should just Kegel all the time. So everyone kind of thinks peeing your pants, do lots of Kegels. And that's not necessarily true. Just like any muscle in your body, your pelvic floor can be too loose or too lax, or it can be too tight or too kind of like shortened. Both of those are not functional or desirable situations, just like they wouldn't be in any other muscle. So let's take an example of the hamstring muscle. Lots of people complain about having really tight hamstrings. They're like, oh, I can't touch my toes. By the way, who cares if you can't touch your toes, but they're like, oh, I can't touch my toes. I have really tight hamstrings, but you also can have overly loose hamstrings. I mean, this is not a real thing, but like, imagine if they were so loose that you literally couldn't hold yourself upright. You just like fell into a forward fold all the time. Both are dysfunctional. And in fact, sometimes people who think they have tight hamstrings because they have like a a sensation of the hamstrings being tight, actually have hamstrings that are being overstretched all the time. So having a sense of something being tight is not necessarily an indication that it doesn't need more strength. Many of us can have symptoms of pelvic floor issues and actually need more pelvic floor strength and stability Or we can have a pelvic floor that is overly tight or restricted, but also really need to work on strength through the full range of motion. So actually be able to fully release the pelvic floor and be strong in that position as well. Hopefully that all makes sense. I'm always down for questions. So if you have questions, send them my way. So long story short, if you pee yourself, even if you only do it a little bit, even if you don't actually pee yourself, but you have like a sense of urgency, like you feel like you're going to pee yourself. 
if you have, sometimes people have what is labeled as recurrent UTIs, but actually antibiotics don't necessarily help. So they feel like they have to pee all the time, but they don't. Um, if you only pee when you sneeze or when you jump or when you have a cold and so you're coughing all the time, those are all indications of pelvic floor dysfunction, but not necessarily an indication that you should do a bunch of Kegels. So how do you assess your pelvic floor and figure out what you should be doing? You can start with, and this is what I teach in, for example, my Reclaim program or when I do webinars on this topic, I have everybody just do an external touch test. And I've talked about this before, but you can basically just touch with your fingers through your clothes. It's helpful if you're wearing like leggings as opposed to jeans or something, but touch with your fingers right on the inside of your sit bone. So if you wiggle around on your butt, you'll find your sit bones and you just take your fingers and you press just to the inside of the sit bone, inside meaning like toward the vagina. And you just touch around there and you see if there's any tenderness there. I also sometimes have people do this thing where they fold up like a yoga strap so that it's like roughly the size of the space between your two sit bones. And I have people just sit on that. And if there's like a lot of tenderness or tightness, then that may indicate that the pelvic floor muscles are really, really tight. Or if they can sit on that and feel like, I kind of can't feel that there's anything there at all, then that may indicate that the pelvic floor muscles are actually too loose. So let's take a quick second and just reiterate, by the way, I always repeat myself a ton in these because I figure you're probably like driving or walking the dog or washing dishes and you're kind of distracted. And so the more times we can say something, the better. So I want to give you two terms, hypertonic and hypotonic. Hypertonic, and I like this word because it includes the word tone in it. So you can picture someone who's like super like toned, right? We all have an idea of what muscle tone looks like, means hypertonic, hyper, we know what that means, is overtoned. So you can have muscles that are quote unquote toned, but not necessarily strong. And that's hypertonic. So maybe they're strong, maybe they're weak, but they're really overly toned over tight. And you can have hypotonic and hypotonic is just the opposite where it's undertoned under like kind of loose and, and not, um, very stable or taut. So these are all other words. Cause I kind of hate the word loose because it has like very misogynistic sort of sexual undertones. Um, so I love the words hypertonic and hypotonic. Cause I also think they give you a better picture of what we're actually talking about as opposed to tight or loose. So hypertonic symptoms. These can include pelvic pain. So for example, discomfort when you go to the bathroom, when you use a tampon, when you have sex, when you have um, pelvic exams where anything goes into the pelvic floor. I see pelvic pain associated more with C-sections than with vaginal births, but it's totally not mutually exclusive. I think the C-section association is just like, if you carry a baby for nine months and you're holding that baby with your pelvic floor, right? So your trunk is getting much heavier and your pelvic floor is having so much more demand on it. And then you 
don't have a vaginal birth where the pelvic floor muscles are stretched, then, well, obviously what is going to cue or teach those muscles to relax after having been so tight and so squeezed for so long. So I often see pelvic pain or um, pain with sex with C-sections. Again, not mutually exclusive, just more common with that. Um, If you do either of those tests that I described, sitting on something or touching with your fingers, and you find that you have a lot of tenderness, like it just is uncomfortable, or if it feels like very firm or very like tough, then that would indicate that there's an over tight, over active pelvic floor. There's also this indicator that when I'm teaching a Kegel, the way that I teach a Kegel, some people find that they're like, I can't engage at all. Not like it's hard or I can engage, but I can't hold it. But like literally I cannot engage at all. And often I find that that inability to do any kind of pelvic floor engagement is because their pelvic floor is already so engaged. So for those folks, we'll often spend way more time working on fully relaxing the pelvic floor and getting it to let go. And when we focus on that, we'll do it like with diaphragmatic breathing and really consciously like letting the pelvic floor release and relax down. Then those folks will find that like, okay, now they're able to release and engage a little bit. So if you feel like you can't engage your pelvic floor at all, and then you take a couple minutes of really deep breathing and really consciously relaxing your pelvic floor and your abs, and then you try to engage again, and then you can, then that to me would indicate that your pelvic floor, your kind of like default pelvic floor is really engaged and really tight. On the opposite end of the spectrum, you have a hypotonic pelvic floor. A pelvic floor where there's really not a lot of engagement or the muscles are not super taut. This is a little bit easier to identify because it feels like there isn't a lot of engagement there. So if you do that physical touch test and you're like, I don't really feel anything at all. It's super like soft and squishy. Maybe there's not a lot of sensation when there's penetration into the vagina those are more signs that the pelvic floor is like much looser. And then there's there's this whole middle section of things that might indicate either way or some of both. So you can actually be tight on one side, but not the other, or tight in the back, but not in the front. So that's why something like, for example, prolapse may happen where you have the bladder like kind of falling into the vaginal canal, falling, you know, backwards, but the back of the pelvic floor is actually super, super tight around the anal sphincter or the tailbone. That's possible. So you can have prolapse and actually have a little bit of overtight and a little bit of uh, over loose pelvic floor symptoms. You can have urgency, so feeling like you have to pee all the time can again come from either end of the spectrum. You can have just a really hard time kind of coordinating pelvic floor engagement, either because the muscles are super weak and lax and underused, or because the muscles are super tight and overactive. Either one can make it really hard to kind of like 
get your brain to communicate with your pelvic floor and to tell it what to do. And then last but not least, both ends of the spectrum can contribute to urinary incontinence. So the best way to figure out which you have is by touching, looking at the other symptoms, right? So if you have either of those like super loosey goosey, soft, fleshy feeling, or really kind of hard, tight, taut, um, pain with, uh, penetration, both of those would give you like a really clear sign, which end of the spectrum that you're on. And if you're not seeing either of those things, or you're seeing either of those things kind of inconsistently, where some days it's one, some days it's the other, or in part of your body it's one, but the other part of the pelvic floor, it's the other, then you're probably in the middle and you probably need to do some of the work to address both. So that brings me to what is the work that you would use to address either overactive or underactive pelvic floor muscles? The first one I already talked about, it's deep diaphragmatic breathing. So really consciously relaxing the ab muscles, all of the core muscles really, and the pelvic floor because they like to work together. So if we can like stop sucking in the belly and let it go, then we are going to have, you know, better ability to relax the pelvic floor as well. And you're also going to have less pressure pushing down on the pelvic floor contributing to any of these issues. So First, best thing you can do no matter which side you're on is to relax your abs, relax your pelvic floor, and do deep diaphragmatic breathing. If you are overactive, you can do self-massage. So you can do, you know, clean hands, lubricant, and just gently massage around the perineum. So on either side of the vagina, inside, internally, um, And of course you can do this with a partner, but I usually tell people if you do have pain with penetration, then start by doing it by yourself. You trust yourself, hopefully. So you can just kind of start to explore that and make sure that you're not hurting anything. And then maybe over time, it feels better to do that with a partner. And then there's just stretches that you can do for your full body. So I love half happy baby pose. You can Google any of these. And I also have a blog post that's got the stretches for pelvic floor. So I will link that up in the show notes for you. So half happy baby on each side might be different right to left, full happy baby, um, child's pose or puppy stretch or what I call butt up child's pose where you just kind of like elevate your your shins onto a block or something. So get yourself up a little bit higher in that child's pose or puppy stretch. Those are all great ways to stretch the pelvic floor. And even if you are on the underactive hypotonic side of the spectrum, it's still useful to do those things. Cause if it's just like, if you were doing any other strength training program, you wouldn't be like, I'm really weak. So I'm going to start lifting weights, but I don't need to stretch after I lift weights because I'm really weak. That doesn't make any sense. Those two things are not connected. You still, even if you're doing a strengthening kind of program for your pelvic floor muscles, you still want to make sure that you're releasing and relaxing and stretching them so that they don't become over tight. Then you have the sort of more engagement Kegel type things. So 
I always teach what's called a Kegel 2.0. I've included this in previous episodes before, but it's just the idea that your engagement is not just super quick, superficial squeezes. It's engage, lift, pull the whole pelvic floor in and up. And I have um, an episode, I will link it up in the show notes, but um, I want to say it's episode three or four. They're both useful. I'll link them both. But in those two episodes, I talk a bunch about the different core and pelvic floor engagements that I teach. So go revisit those if you're like wanting some actual, you know, like actionable protocol advice. Um, But you can use that kind of Kegel action to start to train strength and stability in the pelvic floor. And then you want to take that effort and integrate it into any time that you're doing core exercises or any time that you're doing Uh, any kind of strength training or running or jumping, any other exercise type things that you're doing, as well as just your day-to-day life. So you want to notice if you're constantly sucking in your abs or if you're constantly clenching your pelvic floor and your shoulders. You want to let those things go when you're in your day-to-day life. And one of the ways that you can help make it easier to let those go is to adjust your posture so that you're stacked in a more effortless way. So you want to address your posture in your day-to-day life by making sure that your pelvis is not tipped forward, meaning you have like a really archy back and also not tucked under all the time when you're sitting. So you're also not like slouching backwards. That's one of the best ways to kind of help with any of these like weird, you know, imbalances between the two, the front and the back or the sides of the pelvis. So just getting yourself centered, stacked over your feet so that you can relax your abs. You can have kind of like a neutral resting tone on the pelvic floor and not be clenched and also not be pushing downward on the pelvic floor with other muscles. So that is how you solve urinary incontinence at kind of like the meta level. This is like what is causing it to happen? And this is how you kind of use your whole movement practice and adjust all of the big things to make sure that you're getting at the underlying causes of urinary incontinence or peeing your pants. Some of the other things that I like people to be aware of, and this is really important, you should not be doing Kegels while you're peeing. That's just very confusing for the muscles. We want to teach the muscles that when you're going to the bathroom, pee or poop, you are just relaxing. So if you find that you often push to pee, or you've been taught that you should try to squeeze and cut off the flow of urine while you're peeing, let go of those practices and practice just calm, effortless exhale. Maybe you sigh when you're going to the bathroom again, one or two, and let go of that that really confusing message that maybe you're sending your brain of like, these muscles are supposed to be squeezing while I'm eliminating. That doesn't make any sense. Those muscles should be relaxing when you're eliminating and engaging in order to hold in pee and poop. We don't want to confuse those, those uh, signals in the brain. The second thing is making sure that you are actually moving your body when you're drinking water. So 
Drinking more water, being better hydrated is a wonderful goal. However, if you're just sitting at your desk and you chug a bunch of water, that water is going to run right through your system. You have to actually move your body in order to hydrate your tissues. So if you want that water to like go to your organs and your muscles and things like that, you have to actually be moving when you consume water. So I often recommend to people like drink a bunch of water when you first wake up because one, you're probably dehydrated from the nighttime, but also because most of us move around a bit in our morning, right? You're like showering and you're getting ready. So when I say move your body when you're drinking water, I don't mean like you have to go for a run in order to like earn a cup of water. I just mean sitting at your desk and chugging massive amounts of water is not super helpful. You want to focus on drinking water when you're moving so that you're making sure that the fluids are actually getting into your tissues instead of just going boom straight into your bladder and making you have to pee 20 minutes later. I have no idea if 20 minutes is a real number. I just made that up. Uh, Other things you can do, stop pre-peeing everything you do. So if you go pee before every single meeting you have, every time you get in the car for 20 minutes, every time you run errands, before you leave the store when you're running errands, then you're training your bladder that it can't hold as much as it can hold. Right? So if your bladder holds 16 ounces, again, I'm making these numbers up. If your bladder holds 16 ounces, it's designed to tell you that you have to pee when it's got 12 ounces in it. So if you're then telling it, actually, we're going to go pee every time you have six ounces in you, then your bladder is going to go, oh, the capacity of this is actually six ounces. So let me start telling you that you have to pee when you have four ounces in your bladder. So if you find that you're having to pee frequently and you pee small amounts, that could be part of what's going on. And then the other big thing is urgency. So when you have to pee, many of us like start to freak out, right? Like our brain is like, oh my God, I have to get to a bathroom. I have to get to And we start to squeeze our abs, we start to clench and all of that like intensity and freaking out about having to find a bathroom actually causes us to put more pressure on the bladder and it causes the muscles of the pelvic floor to like be really constricted and maybe they spasm and that spasming causes the urine to actually leak out before you can get to a bathroom. So when you notice that you have to pee, try to stop moving for a second Feel that your pelvic floor is still engaged slightly, right? You're not going to like totally relax your pelvic floor, but take a deep breath and allow a lot of the intensity of the engagement of the pelvic floor to like release and release the abs so that you're not squeezing everything so tightly. I can almost guarantee that if you take that breath and you release just a little bit, you can get less urgency, less sense of urgency so that you can like make it to a bathroom without peeing yourself. So I hope that those tips help. Those are kind of your, you know, we we covered for the bulk of this episode, the like st- kind of strategic overall changes that you want to make in your core and pelvic floor in order to not pee yourself. And I wanted to also give you some actionable things that you can do and change right now so that in the meantime, you pee yourself less because If we can get quick wins, let's get quick wins. If this is something that you want more help with, I am awesome at helping you do this stuff without necessarily needing to do in-person or internal work. So some folks just don't want to do in-person or internal work. I don't do internal work. I'm not a pelvic floor 
physical therapist. I'm a personal trainer. And that means that I'm never going to put my hands on you. So you can, if you feel uncomfortable with doing that type of work with a physical therapist, for example, or you don't have access to a physical therapist for whatever reason, I can help you figure out for yourself how things are feeling and what some really good next steps might be. So I would love if you want to reach out to me, we can do that one-on-one. Or if you're within the first year-ish postpartum, you can join my Reclaim program. The waitlist is always open for that. So I open it up roughly every three months for new people to enroll. And if it's not open right now when you're listening to this, then go ahead and get on the waitlist for the next round. That's what I got for you today. So if you enjoyed this episode please rate and review the episode. So go back to your podcast app and leave me a rating. Super appreciate that feedback from you guys, just for myself to know what's helpful for you, that folks are out here listening, but also because it helps new people find the podcast. So take a second, share this with someone you know, or leave me a review. I would really, really appreciate it. Have an amazing week.